Home is where you feel safe. For me, home is a uh, family, number one. My parents, let me be specific. Home is uh, a sense of belonging to a land, a country, uh, to people, to community. Home is where I feel safe, loved, and cared for. Hi, and welcome to Hometown, your weekly Lent and Easter podcast on refugee welcome in the Episcopal Church and across the United States. I'm Kendall Martin. And I'm Allison Duval. Thanks for tuning in for episode four. This podcast is an offering from Episcopal Migration Ministries, the refugee resettlement and welcome ministry of the Episcopal Church. You can learn about our work on our website, episcopalmigrationministries.org, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are EMM Refugees. This podcast is part of the Good Book Club initiative, which invites all Episcopalians to come together to read all of Luke and Acts throughout Lent and Easter 2018. You can find the daily readings, resources, and much more at goodbookclub.org or on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the Good Book Club. This week's readings take us from Luke chapter 11, verse 14, through Luke chapter 14. In the interest of time for today's episode, we don't have a recorded scripture reflection for you, but that also gives us an opportunity to invite you to offer your own reflection in the Hometown Podcast. We have a few openings for reflection authors. This week, week six, and week 15, which is Pentecost Sunday. Would you author a reflection for us? For this week's episode, we invite you to share your scripture reflection by engaging with us on social media. Visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and share your reflection, either in comments on our post or by direct message. We may even end up featuring you on our blog. If you're interested, reach out to us. We'd love to hear your story about how your faith calls you to welcome refugees. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, we do encourage you to go back and check it out. Both last week and this week, we were and are honored to have the Reverend Jean-Baptiste Nagangwa as our guest. Last week, Jean-Baptiste offered the scripture reflection, and we spoke with him about his book, Overcoming Cycles of Violence in Rwanda, Ethical Leadership and Ethnic Justice. Jean-Baptiste is currently the Director of Transition Ministry for the Episcopal Diocese of Massachusetts. His story leading up to his current post is amazing. He spent his early years in Rwanda, where much of his extended family still lives. He studied accounting and economics before going on to complete his Bachelor of Divinity degree in Kenya, where he was also ordained to the priesthood in 1998. The following year, he moved to Boston, where he completed his master's in theological studies at Harvard, and later received his doctorate in ethics and mission from Boston University in 2008. He's coordinated small refugee camps in the former Zaire, which is now the Democratic Republic of the Congo. He's been a financial administrator at an Episcopal hospital, a regional bank representative, a chaplain of a high school. And in Massachusetts, he has been supply clergy, associate and assistant priest, priest in charge, as well as a case manager and director of direct care at Refugee Immigration Ministry, which formerly resettled refugees and today serves asylum seekers. He's led an interesting life. <laughs> it's it's phenomenal. I'm tired just just reading his bio. He's he's simply amazing, and we're so excited to share part of his story and his ministry with you. We hope you enjoy the conversation. We pick up right where we left off last week. 
So Jean-Baptiste, we are so thankful to you for spending another week with us and being part of the Hometown Podcast. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Jean-Baptiste, the focus of this podcast is really on home um, and what it means to each of us individually. Can you tell us about your home in Rwanda as a child? Sure. Thank you for asking that question. But before I uh, uh, answer that question, let me make some comments on what I said last time. I know uh, I know some people, some individuals, and not, not few, when they go out and say the narrative that the government of Rwanda does not want to hear, they come after them, whatever they are. It doesn't matter where they are. I know of one uh, person who was here in the U.S., and simply because he gave a talk that was contradicting or not in the line of the, the narrative of the government of Rwanda, he he had had time, and I think two years ago, he was deported to Rwanda. So I said that, bearing that in mind. So that I have to put that out. So people know that there are some, some issues and uh, the government want to silence some, some voices that are not saying what they want them to say. So going back to my life uh, as I was growing up in my home, um, I was born... Uh, in, um, I have a humble upbringing and a poor, poor family uh, where um, as I was growing up as a child, um, even before I go to, to school in the morning, I either go to fetch water and it's not, we didn't have any running water in, the, in our house. You have to go uh, down the hill. I, I'm sure you've heard that Rwanda is known as a Rwanda of, uh, of a thousand hills, which means we are hills and valleys and hills and valleys. So sometimes I would go to fetch waters in the in the uh, down the hill to for for my mom to be able to to cook or do anything whatever they want to do with that water. So that that was uh, what I want to say first. And and I was born and grew up in a family. Uh, we were. Um, seven or no, nine uh, siblings and uh, we are all still alive it's, uh, no no they were, were eight so one died in 2000 uh, others are still alive they with their children and other uh, their children's children so we it was a, a, a large family that was poor but and and I would say also I was the only one out of that large family to be able to go to school. So I to, I mean to at, at least to secondary school. Most of us or everybody went to primary school. Where in Rwanda then I, even now I think uh, you don't have a school bus. You have to to walk miles and miles to go to school when you are even a seven year old. Uh, spend a half day or a whole day out there. Uh, have to 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 find lunch. Uh, there was there, there's no lunch served by the school. Uh, so that's that's partly how the life was. Uh, went to secondary school 
which was a boarding school. Uh, after all, secondary school then were were boarding school, and I, I it was far away from from home, and and I that happened when I was I think sixteen years old. That's when I started being far away from my 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 family, my home where I grew up. But it was fine because it was it was it was really um. A, a, a privilege to be able to go to, to secondary school. Not everybody, even if you were smart, how much smart you were, there were few uh, few schools, and the selection was was um, tough. And, and uh, <laughs> I used to say those the, the kids of uh, ministers cannot fail to not to go to school when somebody like me. From a poor family, can go to would go to school. I I, don't, I hope you know what I mean. So it was it, it was and 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 again, let me make that this also another point. It was also they, they used that system also to to oppress and 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 it's part of what pushed RPF to attack Rwanda because many Tutsis were not allowed when could not be chosen to go to school. I was like to be there to be, to go to school, not because I was a Tutsi, but uh, because I'm a Hutu, but because uh, it was selective. It was really few schools, and to be admitted it was hard. So that's the the, the context I, I grew up in. Well, and after your childhood and your education in in boarding school, you came to the United States in 1999 to attend Harvard Divinity School. And I understand that you came on a student visa, but now you're a U.S. citizen. So could you talk a little bit about that part of your story? Yes, I can. Thank you for asking that question. It's really important to to talk about it. When when I finished high school, uh, secondary school, uh, I started working. And uh, in January of 1990, 94, I'm sorry, January 1994. Uh, I was working for the Diocese of Kigeme and they needed somebody to, 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 to who, who know English. So my wife, my wife and I and one other uh, woman who was the, the head of the mother's union, we were sent to Kenya to to learn English. So the plan was to go back to Rwanda on April the 10th. And the present aircraft was shut down on April the 6th. So we, for that reason, we did not, we were not able to go back to Rwanda because the, the, as soon as the aircraft uh, was shut down, the, the genocide started. People were killing all over the place. Were being killed, so then we we stayed in Kenya. Uh, while we're in Kenya, we're moving from one place to another. Uh, I think people who welcomed us in their homes, in their uh, houses, they they are really they were great, gracious. Really, I am grateful for to those people who accommodated us for those months when we didn't have anything, our provisions as, uh, as we went to school to, to learn English was 
finished. The money was finished. So we stayed there. We managed to connect with UNHCR there, uh, which gave us what they call a protection letter, which means you are under the UN protection. But in July, when um, it was clear that the, the, the RPF was winning, was uh, taking over the country, and uh, many people were fleeing the country, as we kind of the country being emptied out, emptied out. Then uh, our bishop came to, or my bishop then came to Kenya to take us, uh, so that we can be close to home or go home, see what's going to happen. But at the same time, because you have many people who are um, vulnerable, who have fled to to then Zaire in Bukavu, you know, bishop asked me to to be with that group in that refugee camp to take care of, to help them. So I stayed up with my wife and our firstborn. We stayed there for um, a year. And then in 1995, we went back to Kenya. That's when where I did another, my, my bachelor's degree in, in divinity. So in, in 1999, I came on a, a student visa. When I came, I knew that because going back to Rwanda was not an option because people were still being killed or targeted for any, for, for any reason or no reason. And so my first step or my first thought I had was to apply for political asylum, which I did apply for political asylum while I was at school. And unfortunately, that was denied. Uh, it was denied by the immigration um, for some reason. They, know, they mentioned a number of reasons, and so I was terrified because I I knew if I went back, if, if I, let, me, let me make it clear: if I went back at that time, I don't know if I will be speaking to you now because um, many that I know have died. So when that was denied. Uh, at that time, I was still at Harvard, and I was ordained minister and a priest in the Episcopal Church. I was serving as a supply clergy in this Episcopal Diocese of Massachusetts. So, the, and as I was uh, serving, the, the church helped me to apply for special religious immigrant visa, which I am grateful for everybody who helped me, especially these diocese and the church and people who uh, advised and, and, and uh, uh, attorneys who helped out and the immigration, the U.S. government that ultimately uh, approved that and, and now I am a U.S. citizen. So it, it, I'm, 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 I'm grateful and I'm glad that happened and so that's how I ended up becoming a U.S. citizen. And you currently serve in the Diocese of Massachusetts as the Diocesan Director of Transition Ministry. So I'm curious if you now consider Massachusetts home or you still feel in your heart that Rwanda is your home? I feel like, uh, so let me say this, because I have been in transition for almost forever. When I was 16 years old, I 
drove to my, my home, went to far away to Engeri. I would stay there for three months and go back home for a few, two weeks and go back. So, big, and, and then after that, I was working around the country and then I went to Congo, I went to Kenya and came here. So, it, I, that, it created me something that made me feel like wherever I am, that is my home. I kind of disconnect from where I was to make this my home. But at the same time, though, there is no place like home. I continue to, I have my siblings there, my extended family and others are there. So I continue to connect there, but I feel like Massachusetts, Massachusetts is my home, really, yes. And we know, we know that you previously worked with Refugee Immigration Ministry in Malden, just outside of Boston. Hmm. Can you tell us about the work that you did with Refugee Immigration Ministry? Yes, that was really, um, as I think about my whole life and what I did in my life, I think that was part of what I count to be important of my, my, my ministries. Working with refugees, working with uh, asylum seekers, working with those people who, who, who don't know where to go and to be, that was, that was uh, a blessing to me to work with them. Because I, I knew when I was moving from house to house, when I was in Kenya back in 1994, I knew when I was in a refugee camp what it meant to be in a refugee camp. And I knew what it meant when I got here the first night when I was welcomed by a, a, a Kenyan man who hosted me in his house and cooked me good breakfast in the morning and as I was heading to, to camp to Harvard. So I, 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 with that background, with that experience, working with asylum seekers was one of the most uh, rewarding in my life. Also working with refugees, when that uh, uh, refugee immigration ministry was a settlement agent, uh, when we were welcoming refugees at the airport, looking for uh, apartments and for them where to live, and accompanying with them for three months, or there are some other others that they could work with them for longer than that as they were looking for jobs. That was great. But let me focus on asylum seeker, as you mentioned. Um, these people get here in the U.S. on a, a type or any type of visa. Like I was on a student visa, I applied for asylum. It was denied. So when somebody got, gets here on a given visa, different visa, and now decide to apply for asylum because when they go back, they'll be mistreated, tortured, or whatever, they might even be killed. It is when you were able to help this person and make this person feel like, yes, now I, I feel like there's somebody who can, who can listen to me, there's somebody who can hear me, there's somebody who can help me to be able to now to feel like a human being again. That is the word. And the Refugee Immigration Ministry has a system of clusters. Different churches and synagogues and, and people of faith go, coming together as a group to put together some resources 
to help um, an asylum seeker, that is a system that I have appreciated and whenever I have a chance, uh, I, I go to their the, the functions and activities to support them. So this organization accepts to, sub, to support somebody because of uh, one, if this somebody has um, um, a pro bono attorney who has looked at their case and says, yes, I can take this, I can help you to, to apply for asylum. And if this person has uh, taken some, some general health assessment and those two conditions, then when we have those two conditions put together, then we will look for a cluster that will be able to support this person everything. They find uh, an apartment for them, they find uh, furniture for them, they find food for them, everything until they, they get to the point they have a work authorization to be able for, uh, to work and take care of themselves. So that was really, it, it's something that I continue to, to cherish for this organization, that they continue to help people who otherwise, even the government, no one would be supporting them. And this organization, helping these individuals, it is amazing. And I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed to have worked for them. So Jean-Baptiste, as you know, our podcast is called Hometown, and it's based on the central theme of home and what it means to each of us. And so I'd love to ask you what home means to you. Thank you for that question. Um, what does home mean for me? I think many people would define home in different ways, but it comes down to two things. One, where you you go after a day of busyness and busy and you are and you go home and feel you relax. You feel that you say now I'm home, I'm going to, to recharge and refresh and go out again. Uh, that is home. It doesn't matter where that is. And you you there you are supported by all around you. You you feel like you can you can express yourself, you can say every anything you 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 know and you, you want to say, and no one is telling you no, don't say that. So that's how I, I, that, that's one that the way I understand home. And two, of course, it's a building. It's a, it can be big or small, but it's a building where you are and you feel like you have a shelter. You you're not out there. You have, you are somewhere. For those two things put together, that's home. Because you, you might have a building, can be nice, but if you're not free to express yourself, if you don't relax when you are there, if you don't recharge yourself and feel like it's a, it's a downtown, it's a time for you, then that's not, I don't think that would be a home. It's a home when the house, the building itself, no matter how big or small it is, you go in, you feel relaxed, and then you go out to continue to do what you are called to do. So that's why, like I said earlier, uh, when I was in, in Zaire, former Zaire, 
we were living in a tent. Uh, and we had built a huge tent like for four families who were sharing food, uh, lunch, breakfast, and uh, when we can able to find dinner, we, we were sharing everything. It was a tent, a tent. One can cut it with, a, with a, just a knife, but it was a home. Because you go home, you feel loved, you feel liked, you feel uh, you are within people who understand you, and you are recharged, you go out. So that is, it was a tent, but it was a home. So it can be big or small, but when you have, where you call a shelter, and you are able to, you feel supported, you are okay, so that's what we call home. Thank you for that. Thank you. It strikes me, Jean-Baptiste, that your story and your ministry, both with asylum seekers and refugees and now in the Diocese of Massachusetts as the director of transition ministry, a lot of your, your ministry is helping people find home and create a sense of home and belonging. And the Episcopal Church, the Anglican Communion are immeasurably blessed that you are that you are a priest in our church, and we're so grateful for you being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for those kinds of words. Thank you all for being with us today. Before we go, some reminders and announcements. You can learn more about our guest, the Reverend Jean-Baptiste Nagangwa, on our blog, episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash blog. Don't forget to get those reflection writing wheels turning. We'd love to feature your reflection on our social media, and you might get selected to be on our blog and even on the podcast. EMM is offering its next Love God, Love Neighbor training in Atlanta, Georgia, May 2nd through 4th. The training equips participants to be ambassadors, allies, and advocates for refugee welcome. Visit EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org forward slash LGLN, as in Love God, Love Neighbor, to learn more. A limited number of scholarships are available, and the registration deadline is March 19th, so make sure you get it in soon. Be a voice of welcome and a beacon of hope for newly arrived refugees through a virtual gift for friends or family. Show your support to our new neighbors with a tax-deductible gift that provides security and comfort during the first few months of transition. Order online at episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash gifts hyphen for hyphen welcome. Our theme song was composed and recorded by Abraham Mawinda Ikondo. Find his music at abrahammawindamusic.com. Tune in next week and tell your friends about the Hometown Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we are EMM Refugees. Until next week, peace be with you and all those you consider home. <laughs>